Welcome to Bonehead Weekly. I could not be more excited because I've actually wanted to get you on the show for a couple years and you you said yes, which means that you screwed up. So I mean this in the best way. We have BJ McDonald. Thank you so much. Director of Hatchet 3, but also Studio 666. Now, before we get started, there's a ton of questions about Studio 666 and I'm sure a lot of people want to ask you. And I want to okay. start about something else earlier, but I've got to start with this because as I was rewatching it last night, I was sitting there thinking, he gets a lot of questions about rock stars. I do. The whole time, there was two rock stars that I wanted to ask about. And now they're one of them. Are, well, one of them is kind of a rock star. The whole time I was sitting there going, this asshole got to hang out with John Carpenter. Oh, yeah. And, hold on. Tony Gardner, yep. Dark Man. Yes. The effects. So if you don't mind, can we talk a little bit? Because even the titles are Carpenter esque. Yes. That well, that was my choice. I I, 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 I dude, huge Obviously. Carpenter fan. There's a there's yeah. a huge they live right over here that says, Go fuck yourself, John Carpenter to Joe. Okay. So right. got to meet him a couple of times, but I was sitting there going, This guy's like me. This guy is a huge Carpenter fan. So can you talk oh, yeah. a little bit about that? And he did the music and all that. Yeah. I mean, so that's, so I'll go, I'll tell you exactly how it came about. Like when me and Dave were talking about the whole situation of like what we were trying to accomplish, you know, me and Dave had met and we were just talking about like, okay, we want to make this kind of like a cool, you know, like a Foo Fighters old school music video that we, that you guys used to do like Everlong or anything like that. We're just kind yeah. of silly and it kind of appeases the fans of people that like those videos. That was our whole point of like the humor behind Studio 666. Mm -hmm. um, then we got into talking about like our influences and people that we grew up with. Well, he and I really connected on John Carpenter because as a kid growing up, the some of the stuff that I would first see on like HBO when it, you know, when for HBO first came out was like, you know, oh wow, The Fog, what is this Escape from New York movie? What is this, yeah. you know, like the thing, these movies. And I was obsessed with him like as a filmmaker because I loved not only the scores because, you know, it's it felt like, also electronica it, it felt kind of punk rock to me in a yeah. way of doing things you didn't hire a composer you did it yourself that's diy like killer you yeah. know what i mean and yeah. i and i love the sound of that stuff because i like old punk and electronica new wave and things like that too um even though i'm a metalhead right uh, dave loved all the carpenter movies we really bonded on that and we just said hey let's just reach out to him dave really didn't realize that he helped out one of carpenter's sons like on a tour thing, you know, years ago, like kind of had him on tour with him. So we reached out and John was like, hey, you actually helped out, you know, with with me a long time ago. So hell yeah, I'll come in and help you guys out. Was it Cody or his godson? His godson. Godson. I don't hold my so he went on tour with them a bit. Yeah. And and uh, and and that's how that kind of came about. And so for me, it was more like I don't you know, I've been doing this business. I've been in this business for over two decades and worked with a lot of people getting John Carpenter on a set and having to direct John Carpenter yeah. was one of the most scariest, like, like handshaking experiences where I didn't sleep at night, you know, the night before we knew we were going to have him, I was scared shitless. And, you know, he came in, he was so nice and so cool and just was there to do whatever we wanted to do. And he was into it. And then me and Dave said, let's see if he'll write the theme, you know, and hold on, so wait, wait, wait. You got him. I didn't realize that. So the whole time I was like, they got him for the music and then they just got him to do the, but it's backwards. 
It's backwards. Yeah. So we got him to come do the cameo. Oh, that's and awesome. then we reached out and said, would you, would you be willing to write a song? Cause we already had Roy Moyorga already on board to write the score and Roy is the drummer for ministry. Right, He's right, been right. in a lot of really cool bands like nausea in the past. And like, you know, coming from like the punk rock backgrounds, yeah. super stoked to have Roy and Roy's really into this carpenter stuff also. So Carpenter wrote the theme song and then Roy took that and made the rest of the, of the, of the score kind of surrounded with that being our theme. Because a lot of times you see these movies now, these horror films that are every, like all the sound scores, this dronings, you know, you know what I like to do is when I come out of a theater, I like to be humming the theme song, like Jurassic Park. We all know that back to the future. We all know that you want to have a theme and a lot of people, you know, you kind of lose that nowadays. And I really cherish when people go to that, you know, goal of making music because music is a huge part of the movie itself. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. when I walked around when I was in kindergarten, I saw, you know, escape from New York and I thought I was snake Plissken because I'd, you know, fall off the monkey bars and hurt myself. And I'd walk with a limp and I could just hear that escape from New York song in my head. So you know, I won't go too much more into that, but that was uh No, was- we love it. I'm a huge John John's so we're from Kentucky. John's from Kentucky. Yeah. And I've had the pleasure of I've not I never really got to interview him, but the pleasure of meeting him a couple of times. And you never know, and he's always been wonderful to me, but he can be a curmudgeon. <laughs> yes. We've interviewed other people who won't say, but yes, he can be a curmudgeon. So it's glad to hear that he was very kind to you directing him that day. He was awesome. And I mean, I could tell like towards like, because we had him for like a day. So I had to get everything kind of knocked out. And I could tell when he was like, okay, we should probably get, we should probably rap John, you know, and it was a good thing to do it. You know, that's the way, you know, with, with anything in the films, you have to be able to play ball and politically make sure that things are good. And, you know, just trying to get the inside of like how people are going to work. And trying to make it work for them, I think is very important, you know, that you're not beating someone to death. You know, I think it's, you want to work around, you know, he's a legend. He's my, he's an inspiration. Him, Tim Burton, people like that. Those are all people that I really look up to. Yeah. 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 I, like I said, I, I, I knew that if I just went that way, I just wanted to, because I know you get the rock star questions, get the same questions all the time, but I just, it's like, man, he had John and you got Tony Gardner doing the special effects. We're yeah, I mean, and, and to be honest, John John Carpenter is living his best rock star life right now. To be honest, you know yeah. what I mean. Well, and truthfully, as the three boneheads are all dads, I that would actually, if I ever got to, I've already figured out my question is, as a dad to another dad, you have to be living the best life, touring with your son every once in a while, playing rock and roll, yeah. and where yeah. everybody rocks out to your movies in the background. Yeah, I went to that first concert that he did and it was like as soon as the escape from new york theme song came on it kind of brought me full circle from my childhood and it was like it was like i was i was about i won't say i shed a tear maybe i did i don't know but you know it was just you know it's it's those hero moments that you're like wow you know this is so powerful because i never thought i'd be sitting here watching him score this that like play to live to all of us with imagery imagery in the background to these movies that i looked up to as a as a kid which which basically is what you know what i what molded me into what i wanted to do to 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 be a filmmaker yeah yeah so that that if you don't mind can you tell me a little bit about the movie that got so we asked this question a lot and then i'll turn it i'm sorry chad and james i'll let you go in a second but 
we asked this, this question a lot. And basically the best way I like to put it, it was what was the bug that bit you, right? What was the movie that you was like, oh, that's it. That's that's it. And now there's a lifelong obsession. You mean what got me into wanting to be a filmmaker? Yeah, it even and then sometimes it's so early you don't even know that that's a thing, right? I love right. this. Like Stephen King talks about finding Lovecraft books when he was a kid, right? And he tells a story that he heard about Jerry Lee Lewis seeing a piano when he was four or five years old. Going, I don't know what that is, but I got to get at it. Yeah, well, I don't know what that does. That make sense? It makes sense for me. It was early on as a kid because my grandfather was an actor. So before I really got into things, my grandfather would take me to like, you know, Tucson, Arizona, where he shot a TV show that he was the star of called High right. Chaparral. And, you know, I would see him on, on TV or like, you know, mm-hmm. movies like, you know, on the waterfront and he's old school actor. Yeah. And so I always found that fascinating. So I got the, the video camera, you know, that we had that had the VCR in the backpack with the huge motorcycle battery with a cable yeah. and we would edit with two VCRs and we would make, we would, as kids, we would make these action movies, you know, and I think, you know, going back to what the, the bug that bit me is escape from New York. Yeah. Um, 100% that is it. And then I just fell in love with filmmaking, uh, you know, and I loved what John Carpenter did. I loved Halloween. You know, I, you know, all his stuff, I just was such a huge fan of. And that, 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 those two things right there was what it was. And, and, you know, knowing that my grandfather succeeded in making movies when he did, that's what caused me when my punk rock career ended, I up moved from Florida and came to LA and my grandmother was my biggest support. You can do it. You know, you, you can do this business. It's hard, but you can do it. And she pushed me to go to film school. And then I became a grip. Then I became a camera operator. Then I went back into directing. And now I still do both. I camera operate and I direct because while I'm writing ideas or pitch ideas or story ideas, I can also be making money as the camera operator on set. Also learning from other directors that I work with or never have worked with. It's a great trade-off and I love doing what I do. And man, have you worked with some A-list talent? Oh, it's it's been a good ride. <laughs> I mean- if it all ends tomorrow, I could yeah. start just listing them off. And I know that you want to make more movies, but I've got to say, as three fans, you've worked on some pictures that we love. And oh, I'll, good. Turn, I'll turn it over to James and Chad now. Which one wants to go next? James. I'll 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 ask a question because I one of the things I, I, I really appreciate about your work is as you've already alluded to, music and, and, and the music videos. And you have directed, but you've also, quote unquote, well, not quote unquote, you've written music videos. Yeah. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't perhaps fully understand when they listen to interviews like this. What does it take to write a music video when the song already exists? What does that actually look like when you're figuring out how the video is going to work? I usually... I get the lyrics to the video and kind of figure out what the video or what the message is first and foremost, because to me, story is the most important or the message that's being pertained through the video itself or what they're trying to, to say. Um, and that's that's the most important thing to me. It's also the vibe of what the band's going for. How does this music flow? What are we doing here? You know, for example, the Slayer videos, you know, when I got when I when I wrote those. I had the first song I got was Repentless and I heard that and it was really about like, don't ever be, don't ever be sorry for the things that you need to do to be, you know, to get to where you want to be. It's Repentless. You know, you, 
that's what it really boiled down to. So I wrote two music videos to that. One was this big budget thing. It was like this crazy biker, like, like apocalyptic biker thing that would be shot in the desert. It was going to be, it was really expensive. And I knew that I had to figure out, can we do the expensive one or can we do the non-expensive one, which is what we did, which was the jail one. And that was basically a simple, simple uh, story of a guy causes chaos to get to a cell block to take what he wants, which is a guy's head and go back to his cell block. And no matter what he did to get to the point of what he wanted to do, how many people died or whatever, uh, that was all he wanted to do. And he didn't care, repentless. That and then and then I never intended to do the other two videos, but when that one came out, when the new Slayer album came out, then I got the guys from Slayer and Nuclear Blast Records to say we need to make a story out of this. So can you make a prequel and a sequel? So I had to take that concept and then I had to write a whole storyline to make these this these three videos work. And that's that's what it is. And I actually I love sitting and writing these things because you know I love being creative and I like to like think about these ideas. And then when you watch it. From paper to you know film and you see it through the edit it's it's really a great you know feeling that you you know got to create something that you wrote and you know people enjoy it you hope people enjoy it some people hate it some people want me to die because i made those videos i've seen some pretty nasty comments but hey but that's you can't win them all but they're but people are just assholes <laughs> well yeah it's well and it's one of those things that, shit yeah. on it we're nobody so. i don't care it's it's it, you know what hey if you do what makes you happy that's all that matters that's in my, all in that opinion. matters man it's all that matters well and i i think we've we've had or i always reiterate this battle cry if nothing else there was something that exists in the world that didn't exist before you made it right and i think that's but but i do want to say uh for those that may have never saw these videos a seek them out because people may say bad things but if we pay attention to imdb ratings these are above it's 8.5 stars 8.5 8. 8. i mean that's i don't know where citizen kane sits right now but it's you know that's eight any time you can get above eight out of ten stars that's pretty good I, i'd I'm pretty... to win yeah, I, and I'm really happy with those things because a lot of the stuff that I direct is written by somebody else, you know, and I just come in and I work with the with the actors and things. But when you actually get to write the thing and and you see it come to what it is, it's very, it's 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 really, you know, that's more my style of like what I want to do. And like other future films that I'm trying to, you know, that I'm working on and like pitch ideas and things like that. It's more of those kind of feels and vibes. I'm more of an action guy too, to be honest. Like I love horror, but dude, action films are something that, it, you know it's just i love those things more the pure cinema a lot of times yeah 100%. i think that i think with the action films they're they're one of the pure forms of it takes you out of reality yeah it just puts you in the moment into the movie no matter how insane what is happening on the screen it will pull you out of whatever you're whatever shit you're dealing with at the moment i think that's where action movies have a honestly have that unique specialty that sometimes other films don't yeah yeah i'm well, right there with you i will obviously i will pick an action film over most other films if given the choice <laughs> me too i i mean and i i usually for my career i lean towards the action or the horror films you know like sometimes you can't pick and choose what a dp calls you it's like we got a romantic comedy you're like well i guess i need to make some cash here we go you know but you know and sometimes you get some really good good romantic comedies um but it's really more for me like i get so excited being on sets too the camera operator or whatever 
uh, if we're blowing shit up or cars are flipping and, and things are getting crazy. It's just so exciting because you go, you know, what other person gets to come home and they go, hey, what'd you do today? Oh, we we flipped a car seven times. <laughs> yeah, if I do that, it's a bad, bad get some coffees. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great. It's a great job. I, I'm not going to lie. I love I love my life. <laughs> well, I, so I, you mentioned romantic comedies, and I, I, I literally was looking at your IMDb page because oh you have God. done so much. But Are you going to ask a pumpkin question? I am going to ask a pumpkin. I knew it. So I knew it. Is an uncredited grip on pumpkin. I told yeah. you we would go deep, didn't I? And I, I have to say that movie's on my DVD shelf. It's over there. Nice. Oh, I'm good. a huge uh, Christina Ricci fan. So, um, but but that's one of those movies that I'm I'm fascinated in some ways that it got made just because it is a, it, it is an odd, I guess, romantic comedy, but there's so much that's going on in that film. And so I just was like, Oh, you were a grip on that. Yeah. I, that I, was, I was just curious yeah, well, about working on that. So there was a time in LA in like the late nineties and early two thousands that these very independent movies were being made. You don't see a lot of this happening. You know, it's like you either got super low budget or you have a very high budget, or it's like some kind of TV show thing that's going on. Anyways, you don't. Gone are the days we had the million dollar feature or the or the three million dollar feature. Or the things it's yep. you don't see that. That's where I cut my teeth when I first moved to LA. That's how <laughs> I I became what I was because I learned on these jobs. I was a grip on that, but I wasn't on it full time. And you know, it was a. I I can remember shooting at UCLA like down the campus and things like that. But honestly, like that that was so long ago that it's like. I just remember, yeah, I was a part of that a few days. I barely remember what we did. So I wish I had more of a cool story for you, but I don't. No, I just, I, 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 I've <laughs> never actually been able to, because we have interviewed a lot of different people, but this was the first time I'm like, oh, Pumpkin. Yeah. Somebody that has heard of that movie besides me. Good times. Um, <laughs> Except I saw it and I'm like, James is going to ask about Pumpkin. Yeah. <laughs> Just like yeah, that, was, gonna... that was one of the first things I that's like one of the like right when I was becoming a grip or like just getting my union days and things like that. Um, that was one of the jobs. Yeah, pumpkin. But also early in your career, again, I'm I'm using IMDb. So if this is wrong, we have interviewed people before and they're like, that's completely incorrect. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. But because we have some people or I know some people are Hugh Finch, you were a grip on scrubs as well. Yeah, first season. I did. I that's that's another. That was right after Pumpkin, if I remember correctly, and it was kind of the same people. But I was a grip on the first season of Scrubs. Yeah, and that was that was a very tough job. I remember it was very very hard. We we shot like basically in this hospital that we pre rigged. We pre rigged this whole hospital to be able to slide in, you know, ND gels into the windows real quick to be able to control the lighting, and it, it was just like it was a beat down for that, and that was a that was a hard one, but. Yeah, no, good old scrubby scrubs. I forgot what I left it early to do something else that was way cool. Like I was super happy about it. But well, as a grip, real quick, not to interrupt, but how much time do you actually get to spend with the actress? Because I actually got to interview and spend some time with John C. McGinley. And it depends on the actor. I realize that. I realize that. Some people want to hang out, some people go back to their trailer. And I got to spend some time with John C. McGinley a couple of years ago interviewing for a convention. So I was just kind of curious, does it depend on the show? Do you get to do I mean it's it depends on the personality of the grip and where, and how much you're around, to be honest. Like, you know, cause a lot of guys will come in and do their thing. They'll go back to the cards. They'll sit there and, you know, wait for the call because everybody's on radio. So they come yeah. in. The, the person that in the grip department that usually talks mostly is the dolly grips, you know, mm -hmm. which is very integral to having as the camera operator. So the camera mm -hmm. operator 
and the dolly grips in my opinion and the acs are the ones that to be honest talk to the actors more than the dp does or sometimes even the director it just depends on the job um and scrubs is actually where i funny you mentioned that the operator on that's guy named charles pappert yeah. uh, he was the one guy that when i said hey look man i want to i want to become a steady cam operator you know and this is like that's what i want to do and he's the guy that kind of told me hey well, then go take this course from, you know, the Steadicam workshop and then see if you like it. And then we'll talk about it because you know, I was learning framing and all that kind of stuff. And that's really that was kind of like the first kickoff of how I figured out, OK, I want to be a camera operator now. And I'll never forget the key grip on Scrubs goes, oh, just what we need is another we need another Steadicam operator. And, 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 and when he did that to me, I'll never forget. I kind of just went, I'm going to show this guy. Fuck it. You know yeah, what I mean? Fuck him. I am going to become a camera operator. I'm going to do things. And it, it kind of like kicked me in the pants a little bit in a weird way. And I'm still friends with that key grip to this day. He's a nice guy, but I'll never forget that comment. I was like, all right, man, watch this. A good yeah, friend the, of the, the show is Mick Strawn. He was production designer on that Maryland street four and five. And he's a friend. He's just over the years. Now we've been doing this over six years. He's become a dear friend of ours. And he will often say, especially half drunk, there's not an asshole in Hollywood that isn't trying to prove somebody or prove something to somebody in high school that doesn't even remember them. He's, yeah, I think he's right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I loved all the people I went to high school with. I wasn't trying to prove anyone high school. No, I hated high school. The three boneheads here hated high school. It's great that you loved it, but we hated it. So, yeah. <laughs> now, we're often trying to do something to prove something that no one ever remembers us either. So, we totally get it. High school for me was like a comedy club. I thought it was the best time ever. Like I, I would, I laughed every single day in high school, but I was also this punk rock kid that didn't give a rat's ass. I mean, I got suspended for, for pulling a fire extinguisher off the wall and extinguishing the whole art class. And I remember I got two, two weeks of suspension for that. It was like that kind of thing, but I, I was out of, I was a, I was not a good kid to be honest. <laughs> where, you, where did you go to high school at? And be a high in Pensacola, Florida. There you go. Yeah. 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 Florida. Yeah. yeah. Okay. probably there's someone right now that that is sitting there going my art project would have put me on the map but it was destroyed (laughs) Destroyed Destroyed but that punk asshole bj yeah no i yeah yeah (laughs) sorry anyway i didn't mean to interrupt chat go ahead oh no yeah this falls into the category of you know doing research you have so many questions you want to ask you because of of your extensive long career in this in this industry but one stuck out to me more than anything and i'm curious if you have a story about it it's one of these uh it it's from william freaking oh you son of a bitch killer joe it's chad that was my next question joe and i it's one of joe and i's favorite freaking films and it's under it's and in my opinion it's underappreciated I like it better than Bug. I know a lot of people like that kind of that later part of Freakin's career. They love Bug, but I prefer Killer Joe to Bug every day. To me, it's right up there with The Exorcist and uh, and actually and it's where I learned the and Sorcerer. I prefer Sorcerer over the French Connection, but that's just me. But anyway, and it's where I learned what a Merkin was too. So my wife was in charge of the Merkin. Oh holy shit! You've got to talk about this. So, okay. And, and look, hey guys, if you want to go past an hour, I'm fine. I have nothing going on tonight. So we can talk all night. If you want. Oh, <laughs> I know, but we try to be respectful. That's the reason why guests don't, and we'll have people like Mick Garris gave us somebody and then somebody, and then I realized it was Mick and I thought Mick Strong was like, oh no, Mick Garris gave us a compliment. You know what I mean? It's like, if yeah. you're nice, 
Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, like, well, like, don't worry if it goes over. Okay. Anyway, you have a lot of questions. I'm fine. I have nothing to do tonight except for go to bed like an old man. Well, that's um, okay. I have COVID, so there you go. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Right. I'm happy to be here. Oh, that's brutal. Um, I'll get better. Yeah, you, thank you. Um, yeah, no, Friedkin was amazing. And it's one of those things where I heard, heard when I got the job, first of all, it was Caleb Deschanel who, who called me. And it was funny because I'm not a big, huge, like, oh, it's this DP, it's that DP. I'm just kind of like, again, like, whatever, you know. So I remember I was on this job and I get the phone call from Caleb and I'm like, oh, yeah, who's this? Okay, blah, blah. And I go to the DP, this guy, Scott Keevan, I was working with. I said, hey, have you ever heard of a guy named uh, Caleb Deschanel? And he goes, what are you talking about? Have I ever heard? He goes, it's the guy that shot the Black Stallion, you know, and mm -hmm. and he like the Patriot and all these other movies. And, and uh, you know, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Caleb called me and asked me if I was available. I was like, yeah, I get home. I was on location. I was like, yeah, I get home at a certain time, like, you know, two weeks, let's talk then. So I don't hear from Caleb. And then I call him and I go, look, man, I'm looking for work. I might have another job. Did you want me or not? He's like, oh, no, no, I do. I do. Let's, let's talk. Let's talk. You know? So I was like kind of a shitty thing for me to do. Like, cause I just, I should have respected more, but I guess I just didn't know. Yeah. Anyways. Billy Friedkin, I find out he's doing it. I'm a huge Exorcist fan. Love that movie. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, I start hearing stories around town. Like, oh, God, he's crazy. Watch out. It's going to be a gnarly shoot. And I'm like, okay. Um, so it got me a little rattled at first. And I mean, there was some... We got on set, and I remember it was the first digital job that Caleb had done and also Billy. Um, and he was like basically ripping the producers like if this camera doesn't work mo if it doesn't work i want you to go buy some rope and hang yourselves like he would say weird stuff like that to the producers and we'd just be like holy moly like he was saying that it was and it kind of was frightening at the time so it came down to the fact that he would only do one or two takes if something wasn't right he'd move on i'd be like hey billy look, man, we just did a take and we just realized there was a, a reflection of one of the lights in, in, in the background in that car, in the truck. And it's in the movie. You'll, if you watch closely, you yeah. see it. And he goes, oh, whatever, Mo. Everyone knows you need lights to make movies. Moving on. <laughs> and he would like always like want to do like these eight hour days. He'd like, Oprah's on, Mo. We got to get home so I can watch Oprah. And he would have no, no, no chairs on set. He'd have Apple boxes. There was one time where he fired a blank gun without telling people to get the actors to jump and startle. There was a, there's a lot of things I can't say on here. And oh, I wish man. just like, because it just wouldn't fly nowadays. Let's just put it that way. And, and we're it, not talking 30 years ago either. No, no. We're talking like it would not fly. And I don't want to taint my man, you know, in a bad light. I thought it was kind of amazing to be a part of this old school like process and see what he did because no one, you can't do that nowadays. The things that he would do to get the actors like into like a, into a mode, you just can't do it. And it's just like, you would get like HR called on you, you know, like not yeah. like, not, not like touchy feely grabby or not, nothing like that, but just stuff that you're like, Whoa, hold on. You know, but the actors agreed to do it. They always like, it wasn't like non-consensual. Like he would just like, he would ask him to do something. He would do something that you were just like, Whoa, dude, that you can't do that. You know, but mm -hmm. he got the effect. Um, and then we'd go to dinner with with Billy and he and he we, it was me, Caleb, my wife, Tommy, Teach, the AC and Billy. And he would tell us stories about shooting The Exorcist and how they'd only shoot one scene a day because they'd have to freeze the set. Then they'd rehearse in the dark with the lights with flashlights. 
And then when they wanted to shoot the scene, they turned the lights on because the lights at that time would heat the whole thing up. And they only had a certain amount of time that they would have the cold breath going on. So they only could shoot like one scene a day because yeah. the lights were full set. Very cool stuff. And I was very sad when he passed away because I really like, it's one of those moments in time where you cherish the fact that you got to work with somebody so legendary as Billy Friedkin. And I learned a lot from him. Yeah. That's... I'm glad to hear that it wasn't a, an, it was the, it was the best kind of crazy is what I'm hearing. It was the best kind of crazy. If Billy likes you, he likes you. If he doesn't, you'd know it. Um, and you know, I got along great with Billy, but Billy's also a no bullshit guy. Like he, he'll, he'll know if you know what you're doing on the job, he'll know like he, Oh, I can trust this guy or this guy doesn't know what he's doing. And he'll let you know, like full on. Um, but my wife going back to our Merkin conversation, please. <laughs> and she, you know, we were, we're, you know, we always try to get on jobs together and we were down there and she got hired on to killer Joe and she was in charge of making sure Gina Gershon's Merkin was nicely brushed and and that <laughs> i'm sorry yeah she also was in charge of the chicken bone scene with making sure the crumbs are in the right spot and all that <laughs> it, it, okay so i will tell you one story that's really please <laughs> so you know we're sitting here with the camera set up and yeah. caleb and billy are back at video village right and they're talking and i'm you know my wife's in there and she's kind of like doing the makeup on gina and all them and she's bent over and <laughs> billy goes Mo, Mo, look at that. Look at that. Now that right there is an ass. That's an ass. Talking about my wife. And Caleb's like, Billy, Billy, no, that's BJ's you know, girlfriend, girlfriend at the time. And he's like, oh, no, he's lucky man. Blah, blah, blah. It was just, <laughs> it was kind of like the best thing I loved about that. And, and my wife laughs about it. We're like, oh, my God. He loved my wife. We'd always, you know, it was funny. We'd just go to dinner and, you know, he would just always like chatter up and it was great. We had a great time. That's fantastic. And it sounds like to me, she knew that it was just who he was and just as a compliment and just thank she God you him. weren't shooting sorcerer with him. If you've ever heard those nightmares. No, no, no. That, that would have been bad news. We were on stage mostly, so we were okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You weren't actually going to get killed. There was no death involved. I mean, there could have been. Could have been. A, it was a wild set. Okay. So bouncing back and forth in all these movies. Oh boy. I, I, well, no, I, I just, you're in something, you're the camera operator in a movie that I love, that I don't particularly, is not as crazy about the sequels, but The Collector. Oh, I yeah, I was going to bring up The Collector. Those are underrated. They stick this, with me. This Yeah, the Mark and Marcus Dunstan, I just love The Collector. Can you talk about it a little bit? I don't, I, I know, hey. How was that? But I mean, that is kind of my question of, can you talk about the collector? I'll tell you my experiences with it. And, and, and to be honest, it was so cool because at that time I was, I had been going through kind of a, a gnarly breakup and, and, uh, and I was just now starting to see my now wife back. Yeah. Then. And, you know, I just was like, I need to get out of LA for a little bit. And my buddy, Vince Palomino is his key grip. I know he goes, Hey, look, man, I'm doing this really small movie in Shreveport, Louisiana. Yep. You want here and do it and i was like yeah I, I just need to i just need to get out of town so i end up going down the shreveport and i i i meet you know the dp brandon cox and i meet marcus dunston and patrick melton and all these people and we end up like just being like this like you know all right we got this cool movie let's make things look as cool as we can with the time we have and and all that stuff and for me you know i can go on all sorts of stuff that we did but my so take 
collector is the fact that I still have a blossoming relationship and a very good friendship with Marcus Dunstan and Patrick Melton, as well as my as the same thing. To me, when I look at the collector, I just go, I made like one of my best friends on that job, you know, and I yeah. talk to Marcus every night. I love him. Um, and he's just, he's always been a good dude to me. And, and, and that's, you know, that's my takeaway. I mean, I could talk to you about all the blood and gore and all that stuff, but like that movie is a very special one to me because that's where one of my, you know, one of my best friends came from. No, it's, it's, it's one of those where you, and we would love to enter the museum too. And they've, and they, and they, of course they've worked on other things that I like, but I just, that movie works so damn well. It was a it was a really hard one to do. We did have a whole unit go like we'd shoot the the main stuff of the actors, and we had a second unit that would shoot during the day for inserts to make sure that we had all that stuff because our shoot schedule was not like it wasn't like a long shoot schedule. But then that's the only reason why we got so many cool angles and so many tight stuff because we had a twenty four seven shoot schedule. We had main unit, which was us. And then we had this like second unit that would go during the day while we were all sleeping because we shot almost every night, you know, and. Well, who directed the second unit? I don't remember who directed the second unit. I don't think, I don't, I don't even know if they had to direct the second unit. I think Marcus actually rolled in and was like, here's the shots I need. And like a DP, buddy that they knew. Oh, it might've been John Gulliger actually. He might've done it. I I can't remember. There was a lot of Well, that makes sense because of Feast could have been Gulliger. I'm not sure. I, I, I don't remember because we never saw a second unit. By the time we got there, they were already gone. But they were already down there doing Feast 2 and 3, and then we rolled right into Collector. Okay. I don't. I did not know that they were that shot like that. I did not know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's just one of those movies that is so well made that uses every inch of it. It's right here. It's just funny you mentioned that. If you look over there, it's like there's a Halloween one. You can't see it, but it's right there. It's like the yeah, old yeah, yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Well, you mentioned Halloween, and there's a guy named... I took my six-year-old, BJ, to his first rock concert back in September, October. And oh. I'm a good dad, so I took him to see Alice Cooper and Rob Zombie as Rad. his first concert. Yeah, about... 30 minutes into Rob, I was thinking, man, I don't know, because I actually don't curse around my six-year-old, which is funny if anybody knows me, because I curse a lot, but I don't around my kid. And I was like, ah, I'm probably going to regret how many motherfuckers and goddamns this kid laughs every single time Rob screamed it on stage. But also my kid was walking out of the parking lot screaming, school's out after Alice Cooper. So you've hung out with a lot of musicians but you've worked on one particular director, several of their movies. And that mm-hmm. was Rob Zombie. Yeah. I have, I still, I still keep in touch with Rob to this day. Like, uh, you know, it's like, he's, I look at him as a friend. I look at him as someone that like has taught me a lot, you know, yeah. to me is the guy that's taught me, you know, where I have, you have the traditional filmmaking style of doing things where you have to make sure you follow the certain lines where the eye lines are always right. You can't cross over this way, that way, you know, and, Rob is more of like this artistic way of shooting stuff and which shows in like Halloween or Halloween mm-hmm. two or, you know, devil's rejects and things like that. Um, 31. 31 Lords of Salem. You worked on all of them, right? Well, yeah. And, and the cool thing is like when you go to into these movies with Rob, you have to like untrain your mind of like doing like the norm of like what you would do on a set, like camera operator wise. You mean you, mm-hmm. there's, do you have to make sure you get certain things to make sure the eye lines work and, and all that? Yeah. However, 
where I always find myself just undoing, undoing everything. So, cause we're going to just, we're really just looking for awesome shots and really creative shots. And then when I get done with those, it's hard for me to get back into the norm. So I'll meet with like somebody that's like this DP that's well-known or whatever. We're getting into something. I have to go back into like, you know, classical shooting mode where I'm like, Oh shit, well I gotta, you know, you have to, it's like a weird untrain your brain kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and I love it for that. And he's, he's a good dude. He's a great guy. His wife's great. Um, and I'm proud of the things that we've done. You know, some people hate it. Some people love it, you know, but the thing is we got out there, we did it and we've been in the worst conditions with him and, and you know, a lot of it's really cool stuff that we've shot and I enjoy it. No, well, I, and I think one of the things that the boneheads have always said is when you watch a Rob Zombie film, a, we've done you know a Rob it's a Rob Zombie, Zombie film yeah. and B, it's an experience. Yeah. Like it may not be your jam whatever that may be, but you're going to walk out going, yeah, I saw something I didn't see before. Yeah. Like Lords of Salem has its own vibe, but at the same time, you're like, man, this is, this is something it's, it's, I really love Lords of Salem. It sticks with you. Which and is so, yeah. We I did the reshoots of Lords of Salem because I wasn't available for that. And Rob was not pumped whenever I told him I couldn't do it because I went and I did Jack Reacher, the first Jack Reacher. And because Lords of Salem was like this, it, I think they had like maybe four or five weeks of shooting where Jack Reacher was like a 13 week film. It's a know? Tom Cruise movie that I'm sure you're going to make a lot more money working on. A hundred percent. And and it was funny because, you know, Rob was not pumped that I, that I had to go do that one. And I was supposed to do all of it, all of Lords. And then, uh, and then when I came back to the reshoots, I remember walking in, he goes, what are you doing here? And I was like, I'm here to do your reshoots. He's like, ah, oh, come here, and big old hug and all that stuff. So it was a big, like a quick forgiveness, <laughs> but he's cool like that, you know, but yeah, that was, uh, I like, I love what Brandon Tross did, uh, cinematographer, you know, on those movies. And, and I like the fact that those were more of like a, a, like a concentrated setup and they really went for shots for shots and like really trying to make it a very artistically framed film. And I think it's great. Well, Lords of Salem, I know, I know it's such a small budget film, but it looks so much bigger than it is it is so and and james i didn't we did we see that together yeah and yeah was, we uh, we, we actually I, were sitting in the theater together and we're just like i don't know that i know exactly what's going but it is it it is um i i was it feel it it's like ken it. russell meets stanley kubrick right i think that if you really kind of like go in prepped and knowing what you're going to do you can always make something that you don't have a lot of money with and you can make it look way bigger just by the way you shoot the movie or the way you prep it or this or the or the the way that you know whatever your location is you know lenses can always make it look bigger than it is the lighting can make it look bigger whatever it is you know like those kind of things and i think rob's very good at that you yeah. know and i've learned a lot from that that's like you know what you know, you talk about these Slayer videos that we talked about earlier, and like I had no money for those, but we made them look like they were like this crazy budgeted movie. But we didn't have money, you know. We and we called in a lot of favors. Tony Gardner did all that stuff. All, Tony was the guy who came in and did all the blood and gore, you know, and that was a favor. My wife is was in there doing blood and gore with Tony. Like it was it was that kind of a thing, and it was all friends that came out to really help put these things together, you know, just because they believed in the projects that you know. Yeah. The, the good thing about working on set as a crew member is you develop these friendships with people. And then when you get your own thing and you're cool, people go, yeah, hell yeah, I'll come out and help you. And I think it's important. I go out and help people for free whenever they call me. You know, they need something done and I'm not doing anything. Oh, yeah, I man, I'll come out. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. I, I, no, go, go ahead, James. Ahead. And then, no, well, go I'll, ahead. And then I got one after. Well, there's so there's two 
projects that you worked on that you did camera work on that I wanted to talk about because the Boneheads have talked about them before. And one of them is a Christmas film. We talked about it. It doesn't get a lot of attention that I think it deserves. You did a Steadicam work on Office Christmas Party, which has a phenomenal cast. But it seems like it doesn't like there's a trend of Bad Santa came out, all these and, and for some reason that one seems to have disappeared. But what an amazing cast that film has. It had a huge cast. You know, I was the A camera steady guy on that. And we shot part of it in Chicago, the exteriors. Then we went to Atlanta and we had this whole like office. We had a whole office like upstairs, downstairs, everything built on a stage. We shot most of that movie shot on a stage with blue screen yeah. as exteriors the city. You know, like anytime you're in the office, it's not a we didn't shoot in a real building you know we shot in the whole set and they, it was a massive set um and yeah it had a huge cast it was kind of wild how that came out and yeah it just kind of did come and go people that people that see it though they really like what they see and it's kind it's, of a fun movie it's yeah, an enjoyable thing it came up during our christmas episode of christmas movies that make a hundred million dollars that nobody ever fucking talks about again for some odd reason and we're not knocking it it's just one of those what did is it because tj miller got you know Out. Got, he got yeah he got sent away sent away is that the reason why we don't He's talk about the it because there's a now. whole other cast there's two you know yeah no i mean like that like aniston's awesome you know um uh can't remember his name uh bateman jason bateman, jason bateman. yeah uh rob cordry yeah rob cordry's great i worked with him a little bit on um oh what's that show they had an adult swim um i went and did some of that uh, uh children's hospital hospital yeah and i worked on some of that i don't even think it's in my imdb but that was fun. Like, and it was a funny time and he was hilarious and he's always, he's super cool too. My wife was making these pins that were like, kind of like, you know, a little political and things like that. And he saw them and he goes, dude, where can I get those? So he bought a couple pins, like lapel pins from my wife. He's super cool. It was, yeah, that was a, that was a crazy film though. It was, it was a hard one. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of, a uh, lot of ideas floating around from <laughs> people. I'll put it that way. You, I can, I we can, had, well, when you we have that a big of a cast and that this, much talent. Yeah. We had a quick moment before this, and he, and BJ, you said something. He was like, I have a good way of politically answering questions. And you do. You do. I love that about you. Which, I mean, I, I don't I, love it about you. I want you to just tell me the dirt, but I kind of, I get where you're coming from. Which, I, and I, and I hope this, this, this may be a complicated story. It may be, or it may be I, nothing. But, so the Boneheads watched a, a film that, that a lot of people hadn't seen, but I was as I was looking, as soon as I looked up IMDb, and I was like, oh, I've got to ask a question about this, because I think its film, uh, its release was delayed by about two years. Um, director Ryder had some issues. The Evil Within, Michael Berryman. Oh, um, dude. You did, you did additional study. And by the way, that's one of those films that is visually striking. So I had to ask a question about The Evil Within. We watched that two years ago for our Halloween thing, didn't we? Yes, yes. And so it's it's a film, though, that is visually just striking. When it hits, it hits. I've never seen it. I don't even know where you see it. And that was like really, really early on in my uh, steady cam career. I just remember it was a very strange experience shooting that one because it was uh, one of the Gettys that directed it. Um, and, you know, it was crazy because in his house, when you open the front door of his actual mansion, he had a freaking pterodactyl a skeleton, a real one in his house. Like, like you open the door and there was like, it wasn't a fake. It was a legit, like in a museum, pterodactyl skeleton yeah. in his 
And he had all these arts, like these Van Goghs that were real, just hanging up in his kitchen and weird stuff because of his family, the Gettys, you know, like they have they, all the all the art collecting and everything. I live right, right by Getty Villa. Um, but it was a weird shoot because he would come, we'd shoot a thing in the morning, he'd disappear, not knowing what he's doing, politically answering that one. And then he'd come. <laughs> Afternoon. So we'd kind of be like, well, okay. We didn't know like when we'd shoot, when we're not going to shoot, what's happening. We do these weird things. He had this giant spider that was built, and I don't remember like what happened with that. It was just like I don't even know if it made the movie or not. Oh, it's in there. It's but, that's what I said. It's it's occasionally did you really have to order that. How did we get that? I did, did we? Get I ordered it. We had they, to order it. they did have it because it actually has uh, Matthew McGrory's in it, which who also was in Rob Zombie, uh, some of his film. But Kim Darby's it anyway. Um, but it, I mean, I ordered it through Amazon. I didn't go through any obscure thing, but it it just popped up one day, which probably tells you a little bit about the history of what movies I order, since <laughs> I also have Pumpkin on the shelf. But anyway, um, it was like, oh, you might be interested in this, and and I had met Michael Berryman at, actually at the first uh, Scarefest convention, the local convention here, and uh, when I met him, I was wearing a Christopher Walken shirt that said, "Don't make me go walking on you." And Michael Behrman actually uh, kind of he, he he shook my hand. And he goes, "You know the thing about Christopher Walken is he's a marvelous dancer." I'm like, "I actually did know that." And we ended up having a conversation. So I, I Michael Behrman automatically gets my attention. I'm like, "Well, it's a Michael Behrman film I haven't seen." And then I read some of the background on the director. I'll just say it that way again, trying to keep that politics going. Um, but it was I was like, "I've got to see this film." And Andrew. Yeah, Andrew Getty? Yes. Yeah, okay. That's right. Yeah. And it's but like I said, it's visually strike if, if if you're listening to this and haven't seen it and like Michael Behrman, you should check it out. But it is a visually striking film. Uh, and like I said, yes, the spider does show up. Um but I don't know that I can tell you the plot. At the end. Um I, yeah. I, was, I don't even know what we were shooting half the time. It was very strange. And I know it took like I don't know if it took like a year or two years to make, but it was like it's just like when he'd get like a certain amount of money, he'd be like, okay, I want to shoot this thing. And then they'd shut down. And then like, that was very like, that's not what you do in LA, like, you know, or in filmmaking, usually you don't shut down, try to reconvene and do more and then come back, you know, everybody goes away. You want to try to keep everything together and, and try to knock it out. It was weird. It was a very strange experience. That's funny. You guys are asking some very many questions that I don't, that, that I don't get or, or things in my life. And I'm like, oh yeah, I did do that. That's weird. Hopefully that's <laughs> well, not a bad thing. It's not. It's actually kind of fun to go down memory lane. I actually enjoy it. Good. Oh, Chad, do you have one? Because I've got one when you're done. Yeah, I'm going to go for less obscure this time, just because. <laughs> Don't steal another one of mine. You already um, <laughs> my damn Bill freaking, you son of a bitch. You have worked on so many Seth Rogen films. And I'm assuming that's you have a relation with Braden Trost, the cinematographer, because he's he's the... But... um I just curious, do you have any, cause I mean, this is the end, the interview. Those are some um, amazing comedies with crazy plots. I was just curious if you had any stories about working on those movies. This is the end. I only did a little bit on that because I was prepping hatchet three in, in New oh. Orleans and our schedule, Brandon asked me to come do that whole movie. I couldn't do it, but they were shooting that in New Orleans. And I just happened, our schedule when I was down there in a hotel, like doing storyboards and things, I, uh, it, our schedule got pushed. So I was like, Hey, if you got other days, I'll come in. So I did go work on that for a bit while I was in like a pushed prep for hatchet three. Yeah. Uh, my, to be honest, my favorite thing that we've ever done is the interview. I, I, it's a good I, movie. It I, is. 
movie. I think it's really awesome. You can't, I don't think you could make that movie today. And you couldn't make that movie then. Yeah. Well, it was, it's funny just because it's like our neighbors, like when all that went down, the whole North Korea thing, it was like, you know, my neighbor's like, Hey, are the, are the North Koreans going to come? Are they going to come after you because you were a part of that? I'm like, no, dude, I mean, come on. Like, they're not going to come after me or anything like that. You know, yeah, sure enough, you know, like, you know, they did go after, you know, our, our information and we did get hacked. It was weird to me that we actually did a movie that that was addressed by the president of the United States at the same time, like a <laughs> that got recognition by the president. It was very strange. But what I love about that movie is all most of the Seth Rogen things that I've done or we've done is all just been handheld and this and that. But we actually went out to make a real, you know, classically traditional shot movie. And I think technically it's a killer film. It looks awesome. It's funny. Um, and I'm, I, I had a great time shooting it. Saw a lot of awesome bands in Vancouver while I was there. And, you know, we, we had a good time. The tiger was crazy when it came out, you know, it's like, like it, it wouldn't roar. It wouldn't, it wouldn't make the roar that it needed, that we needed for the film. So here, this is a really weird one. <laughs> so they, these guys from like, I don't know where they had the tiger. It was, it was like, it was like almost like somewhere like mid Canada, but they drove all the way to Vancouver to bring this tiger. And we, cause we had this tiger sequence and we just, and it was like, everyone's like, don't look at the tiger. It's very dangerous. It's going to kill you. Well, they open the, the trailer up and this tiger rolls out of this thing. Like, hi guys, what's up? It's like, <laughs> hey, I'm a tiger, you know, it's really so weird. And so, you know, we all were afraid of it, but then we're like, Oh, it's like the nicest tiger in the world. So we're doing the whole thing. We're doing the whole, you know, all the scenes. And we couldn't get it to roar. And weirdly, the trainer goes, all right, guys, you know, what do you guys need? Well, we just need it to go like, ah, we can like put the noise in sound design later on, make the rake the roar. But can you get him to just like open his mouth and make that look? He goes, I got I got one trick I can do. And, and just, you know, just guys roll camera. All right. Okay. So the trainer goes off and we're kind of watching the tigers there on a leash. And the trainer takes his shoe off and takes a sock off. And then he pees, the trainer pees in a sock. <laughs> he walks up to the tiger and he rubs the sock in the tiger's face and walks away. And the tiger goes <laughs> and makes this like face. So in the movie, when you see the tiger roar, it's because he this rubbed all over his face. So there you go. There's a story. I, gotta go back I, I think I would roar as well. <laughs> I, I think I would. I mean, I would probably be screaming, too, if somebody did that to me. So I agree. Very weird. I've never seen that done on set before. <laughs> oh, well, it's like find that out. <laughs> I thought you were going to go. I had no idea where you're going, but rubbing piss in the face was not what I was thinking. Neither were we. Not, yeah, don't blame you. It's like <laughs> Mr. Ed, somebody's going to shove something up the tiger's butt. We didn't know anyway. All yeah. right. So there is someone who I would love to get on the show. He has his own podcast, directed some movies in the 80s that now not only do I love, but I've transferred it on to my six-year-old. You got to work with Joe Dante. Oh, yeah. That was that was another short stint, though. That was... Oh, uh, damn it. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, uh, that was a 3D film. We came in. I did steady cam on that. Is it like the sequence when like this family's moving into the house or whatever like that was that's that's where I came in because it, it was mostly all traditional style but they needed a steady cam shot and so I came in and Scott Keevan the DP I've, that I've worked with in the past he was shooting that and I came in and luckily it was the one job where the steady cam didn't have a camera that was the size of like 
this room that I'm in because the 3D rigs are so big and so heavy. It's miserable. Yeah. And unfortunately, I had to like endure that trend when everybody was shooting 3D. It was like the worst thing. It's like, I think it shaved off about 10 years of my career. Uh, <laughs> cameras. It's two cameras up and down or like this with a big, huge, heavy mirror. And so you're, you know, Steadicam's heavy with one alone, two cameras with a giant heavy mirror and you're cabled up is a miserable experience. But the hole was cool because they had a company called Paradise Effects that made this little teeny thing with these SI2K cam like lenses, very small, compact thing. And I thought that was super cool that Joe Dante had this camera that wasn't going to kill me as the Steadicam guy. And that's what I liked. And he was very nice. I remember he had awesome hair. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Does. but <laughs> since you have just that a little bit i'm gonna i thought james or chad would take this story but i'm going to but i'm gonna phrase it a little differently what went wrong with jonah hex oh man okay that's a big so oh there's a story good politically talk about um okay well, i don't so want to get you in trouble i don't want to it's basically i you know they shot jonah hex in new orleans or baton rouge or i forgot where they were they uh -huh. did the whole and they hired the director of an uh, he was an animated director that did like horton here's a who or something like that and he wanted to do a live action thing well the original guys that were supposed to do that was the guys that did crank mm -hmm. and, and the script came from them well then you know, I don't know what happened with them getting taken off the project, but then it started getting all these rewrites from all these people in the studio. Um, turned into what it was. They shot down there this first time live action director. It's very different if you're if you're if you're directing animation than it is actually working with real actors. It's right. a whole, whole different world. Um, well, anyways, I guess it didn't go so well down there. Um, I guess there was a lot of like, you know things you shouldn't be doing when you're on your off days or like, like non-prepping and doing and just partying down or whatever. Anyways, I get a phone call while I'm here in LA from Jeff Cutter, who's the DP. And he says, look, and Valerie Sharp is a, you know, a, a producer friend of mine. And they're like, Hey, we're, we're going to shoot 75% of this movie over in 11 days. Holy shit. Yeah. And so that's what we did. My and then the the DP that shot the Slayer videos and shot half of Studio Six Six Six. He was shooting the second unit, so there was these two units going. So that's what we did. We went and we shot seventy five percent of Jonah Hex that was trying to save the film uh, in eleven days, and that's the problem. So you, when you see the town and all the stuff and it's on fire, all that crap, that was Baton Rouge. But like most of the other stuff is all like. We shot in Simi Valley. We shot it, you know, over in LA Center Studios downtown, like with this, the ship set. We, we had that down there. And, you know, we shot out, we shot all over the place in 11 days. It was a brutal shoot. And I just remember, you know, I think, I think that they hired that director because it was like, oh, well, Tim Burton can go from like, you know, doing animation to doing live action really well. Well, let's give this guy a chance. And he just didn't do a good job. So they, then they brought in Francis Lawrence to direct it. The bummer, the, the, the harsh thing was watching the fact that Francis would direct and then they still brought that director in to sit at Video Village and basically be like, hey, watch this. This is how you actually direct. It was kind of gnarly. Like, to oh, me. holy shit. Really? The same time. So for our audience out there, Francis Lawrence went on to do the Hunger Games movie, I Am Legend, things like that. Sorry. Just so in case somebody's listening and doesn't know who that was, but they had the original one right behind him at the same time sitting there the whole time and he couldn't do anything he couldn't say anything because francis was in charge of it it was wild 
It was a very strange. It's like, yeah, that's what happened to Jonah Hex. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see whereas that because I always thought, well, you know, the character has changed over time. Sometimes it's supernatural. It used, it used to be a western. And when I watched it, because I'm a Jonah Hex fan, I went to the theaters and caught it. And when I watched it, I was like, this entire subplot with uh, Megan Fox seems to be tacked on, but whatever. Um, but yeah, that makes a lot more sense now. Yeah, I think if they, had they let Nebeldine and Taylor direct the script that they did, you know, that they had, I think it would have been a much cooler and raw film, you know, in my opinion. But it's just it, it went through a lot of different hands, too, with the script. So, yeah. I, when that happens, sometimes it's like, well, what? Where's this? Where'd this, the original story go? You know, it'd be interesting to see what that was. Yeah. Were you responsible for the shot where it just keeps zooming in close to him as he's riding really fast on horseback that they kept cutting to over and over and over again in the film? No, I didn't do that. Because if you I, shot that, I would be doing this to you right now. <laughs> I did have Michael Fassbender throw that. Like, I'll never forget being in the scene, the opening where they kill his family. Yeah. Fassbender was there, and he's like, "Oh well," he's like. I have this lantern I got to throw. I said, just throw it right at me, dude. He goes, you sure? He goes, yeah, man. I was like, just, just do it. It's cool. I got like fire gear on and all that stuff. And he's like, okay. And he threw he threw the lantern, hit the camera and you know, the fire started. So I can say that Michael Fassbender threw a lamp at me on, caught me on fire. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good story. That's the one good thing you got out of that. Awesome. <laughs> and I like Brolin too. He's a good, he's really cool to work with. Brolin's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's oh. just the movie is it's one of those things where I, as you're going through your filmography, I, I had to ask about it. We had, I don't know, I'm sure you do or don't know Patrick Lucier, the director. He was an editor for Wes Craven, was on the show, and we we got it. And I wasn't going to bother him with Curse. If you don't know anything about Curse, it was a Wes Craven movie that's reshot and reshot and reshot. And yeah. he's like, well, no, I actually have never really talked about it. And he just spilled, it was up to him, about 30 minutes of basically what you're talking about of, how does how do you end up spending a hundred million dollars? Well, you reshoot the movie, you reshoot the movie, and you've already spent this money, and you think I'm going to spend a little bit more money, and that'll fix it. I'm going to spend a little bit more money, and that'll fix it. Yeah, sometimes it's just like okay, just shelf it. You know what I mean? Like it's right. Like, it know, was fa is fascinating. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's wild. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I wanted to ask a uh, question about, and you conveniently have the poster behind you. Uh, because every blue moon, I hear, you know, oh, they're going to do another MacGruber film. They're going to do something with MacGruber again. Um, I loved those sketches because yeah. I grew up watching MacGyver, and you just can't go wrong. Um, right. But I just wondered if you had any stories about working on MacGruber. It's another film I'm proud of. I, I, I think it's hilarious. You know, Will Forte is awesome. You know, Yorma and Akiva and those guys are awesome, too. Like, it's just... You know, and this is another Brandon Tross job, you know, so we all kind of were like traveling together. Brandon's like doing the Sonic movies in Europe right now, which is, I wish I was on those too. But uh, no, MacGruber was fun getting that call because the, the skit is hilarious. And then the people they assembled with that, it was a lot. It was a great time. We shot in New Mexico and and it was just funny. It's one of those movies that you're on set uh, and, and you constantly know you're going to laugh all day long. And Will would just do different stuff all the time. And it was just like the best, like watching him just go crazy. Watching Will Forte like go nuts is one of the best like things you can ever be a part of by sitting in that room and just watching him have a full like meltdown it's the best like in a funny way you know like i'm not a real one but like in his comedy it's like it's so funny it's so hard not to laugh while you're sitting there behind the camera and like shake the camera or whatever it's the best i i, I loved our experience i loved doing mcgruber it was the best it was so much fun 
Well, and again, it's just one where I look at the cast and I think about the film and everything. I'm like, it's just in my mind. If you told me before the film or before I knew anything about the film, we're going to cast this film and you would have went, well, you're going to have Powers Booth and Val Kilmer in there. I would have been like, oh, yeah. I mean, those are those are not who I'd think of for that type of comedy, but it works. It works so well. I loved working with Powers Booth because I'm a huge old Red Dawn fan. Like that's one of my, I love that movie. It's such an epic film and you can watch it. This You you watch that and go, Jesus, man, you guys took over a whole town in New Mexico and made this film so crazy with tanks and explosions and helicopters. I mean, that's some old school badass stuff. You know, the stunts are good. It's so good. So when he showed up, I was like, oh man, this is so neat. And he was a great, he was a really awesome guy when he was around. He was, he was fantastic. So nice. Do you have any particular story about him? Cause I'm a huge powers booth. I loved, I mean, uh, love him in Southern comfort. Yeah. There's just so much that all I love. I mean, Hill, yeah. Deadwood is yeah, yeah. all of that. So I just had to ask if there's a powers booth story. Uh, I don't have like a, like a story that sticks out. He was just like a, just, he'd come in and be so nice to the crew and everybody. And he was just easy to talk to. You could have conversations with them. And he was, he was awesome. You know, like, he would talk he was and he was funny like he would do funny stuff he just you didn't see him in that part that he was in he just and he came in and he just owned it it was really i thought it was awesome casting at the you know when we got him in there it was it's it's another one of those things where it's like okay cool i get to meet somebody that i really looked up to whenever i was you know a young kid like i i i cherish that kind of stuff like i think it's like you know that's another reason why i got into filmmaking it's like you know you, these are your heroes it's a bummer when you meet a hero that turns out to be the freaking enemy you know and we we've met some of those but uh but he was he was fantastic is there anyone that well i don't want you to have to tell anybody or anything i because where we do a lot of these interviews people often ask us especially at the conventions and it's like hey how are they celebrities and i go eh 80 or 90 percent are like everybody else and yeah. then there's about 10 percent that are assholes yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's like, yeah, politically, I won't say that stuff on the. Uh, on no, Facebook. no, but what do you think about that? I mean, it's about eighty or ninety percent are fine. Uh, sometimes you get somebody on a bad day, but you just have to be understanding and realize blah blah blah. But there's only about ten percent that I met with assholes, and there's only a couple, whom I have, whom I treasured as a child and loved, and then it's like, ah, oh, damn, I wish I'd never met you. There's, I've had some really crazy moments where it's like, yep you just totally squashed my dream of who you were, you know, or like, I'm totally, and it's a bummer because it's like kind of, it kind of just tarnishes like the things that you liked when you were, you know, watching these films and, and it, you're just like, man, it, I've met with musicians too that completely made me bummed out, you know? And I'm like, fuck, you know, you guys were like heroes, but now I'm like, which know? one's worse musicians or actors. You can answer that. It, I think, well, I mean, I have, I've had way more experience with uh, actors, you know, and, you know, for the most part, a lot of them are fantastic, but I mean, look, you do run into some pretty horrible people sometimes. And yeah, absolutely. And then, and there's where I've worked with somebody that's been awful once. And then I see him again on the other side. I'm like, Oh God, I got to work with this person again on this movie. And they come out to be some, somebody that turns out great. And you, you, you have to kind of step back and go, I don't know what was going on in their world at that time. Right. Yeah. It I during what was going on and i don't even know but for some reason they're great yeah well i, I think the uh it, it makes me think about the flip side of that um 
uh, I, I am an uber nerd and uh, and I used to go to a lot of Star Trek conventions. And one of the it was Connor Trenier, but he was quoting Jonathan Frakes. And he said before he started doing co uh, conventions, Jonathan Frakes told him, listen, when it comes to fans, 75 percent of them, they go to work. They do all this. They're fans. They, they love what you do. They're going to show up. They're going to ask for an autograph. They're going to you know want to know some behind the scenes stuff. No big right. deal. About 15% are going to be a little more obsessive. Yeah. And he goes, and then it's the remainder. It's that other last, that last five to 10% that are going to be, they're going to make you nervous. They're going to, you know, they're going to be, uh, are you going to, are you going to, are you done chewing that gum? Can I have the gum? Can I, you know, and, yeah. and I always think about that. That's probably the flips, you know, there's, there's the, those rat, uh, um, ratios are probably the same, right? Of people that are just, one way or another look you don't know who you're going to run into and in and, and, and at conventions it's like you got to be careful because because you, you're meeting people you've never met before you don't know who, what people are going to do i mean the world's crazy right now mm -hmm. you know and you got to really be kind of watchful of that and and that's that's the reason why i don't really ever go to conventions either like i just don't you know i never go to them you know i just you know it's i but i feel like i go to a convention every day when i'm on set <laughs> Oh, you should totally do some conventions and do some signing. You have the career for it. Yeah, I'd be like, oh, yeah, no. Um, oh, well, all right. Well, I was going to say, and, 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 and to, to Joe's point, uh, just we've already talked about Jonah Hex, so you, and you worked on Shazam. I'm just uh, looking at thinking about the comic book films that you've done. Obviously, a ton of Marvel ones, Ant-Man, Avengers, and then also, as I've already alluded to, my Star Trek nerd coming out here, you worked on Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, oh, yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah I, I was about to say, do you have any stories about Star Trek Into Darkness? Because I'm a huge nerd. <laughs> in the, the, it was kind of cool because we, like, in the very beginning of that, they go to that planet that has all the vines and all that stuff. And it's like this weird stuff, which was built out where they built the old Spruce Goose down in Mar Vista. That whole set mm -hmm. was down there. And it was weird because it was the first time and the only time I've really ever shot IMAX. You know, and that was, and, and it was kind of cool. And then, you know, JJ came out and we were talking about the shots and all that. And we, you know, we were on a crane and it was just weird because the camera is so big, you know, and it's so loud what it is. It's just like, it was an experience with, with, you know, the set builds, the, the, the set designs, like inside the, where they built the Spruce Goose is where they did the ship to ship thing and where they come flying through the airlock and they go sliding across the floor. Yeah. We had stunt guys that would start in cables from one end to the other. And they were going so fast in there that was like it was it was scary how fast they were going like in that thing so it, you know it's those kind of movies where it's just kind of neat where you get to see like the process and what it takes to make the movie magic of those things it's not cgi people flying through the air it was stunt guys and then they would fly then they drop the line so the guys would hit the floor and roll so they were tight hauling ass and they'd go zoop and the guys would go doo -doo -doo -doo, and roll across the floor and it's, i i love stunts i love all that stuff again action movies like we talked about mm -hmm. so i watch like the process of like what it takes to make these like certain things happen. And it's only lasts for what, like a couple, maybe like two seconds in the movie, three seconds, possibly mm -hmm. with all that. You remember it, you remember it. Cause it's, it's an effective scene, but it, it me and I had the camera and I had to go whoo, and pan it when they went by and they were going so fast. It was like, whoa. And you'd have to go to try to keep them in frame. And it's just like a blur where they get right up on you. Well, that's, it reminds me of, uh, we we interviewed Kane Hodder briefly, and we've seen him several times at conventions. And one of my favorite quotes, he was quoting well, somebody else. He has else. no experience with Kane. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. But uh, sorry, he has to be a smart. 
but uh but the, one of my favorite quotes and i think he's quoting somebody else but he said you know if you if, if uh if somebody told him if you're willing to throw yourself down a flight of stairs eventually somebody will pay you for it and yeah. i thought that's that's pretty good advice if you want to be a stunt man if you're willing or stunt person uh if you're willing to throw yourself down a flight of stairs eventually somebody will pay you for it i'm like that's good advice i guess I, I met Kane Hodder before any of the Hatchet movies. I met him on Devil's Rejects. Yeah. Uh, and He's stunt coordinator, right? Stunt coordinator, co- yeah, stunt coordinator on that. And I found out a weird thing about him is that he can puke on command. Um, he, can, he can make himself vomit, which is really weird. So he thought he, he knew that I'd get a kick out of that. So he would do stuff like I'd come out of the restroom and Kane would be running full speed at me going, Bleh! and like, puke. <laughs> He comes to uh, Scarefest has probably grown into the second or third biggest horror convention in the United States and happens to be in Lexington, Kentucky. Yeah. And it's right behind Texas Frightmare and uh, probably Monster Palooza, Son of Monster Palooza. And, and uh, he's there every year, every year except except one. So I I do the main stage. So to say that we spent some time with Kane over the years is yes. But I, I don't have a negative story. However, I will say he has a really great sense of humor that I feel that he turns off when that camera's around, when he's being interviewed in a lot of other places. He's kind of goofy in a good yeah. way that he's always protecting that in, that image of him as either Victor Crowley or or, or Jason. Yeah. yeah, no, 100%. Like, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, Kane's a good guy. Like, he's actually, you know, and he's easy to work with. He's, he's you know, he's, and he's fun. You know, the yeah. guy's forever and he knows what's going on and it's kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of those cool things too. It's another like, oh yeah, I work, you know, I didn't even, the funny thing is I didn't even know Kane, you know, this, and people are gonna be like, oh, I thought you were a horror guy. I had no idea he was Jason Voorhees at the beginning until I met him, you know, and like, then I found that stuff. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, you know, in many of those movies. So, you know, it's just, it's all these people we run into. There's like stunt guys that were in like eighties movies that I recognize and like John Carpenter ones that you're like, you'll see them as stunt guys on sets now. And you're like, oh dude, I remember you were that guy. Yeah, that was me. Because you'll see like these memorable faces and these guys are still out there doing stunts. It's wild. You know, you run into all sorts of people in this business. Uh, Jeff Amato. Is Jeff Amato one of them? He's in a lot of John Carpenter films. I know. We've run into him a few times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. That was just the one, the name that popped in my head. That's obscure. Chad. So I got to ask, because you you led me to it. I was debating on bringing it up, but since you mentioned the Spruce Goose, got to talk about rules don't apply. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. You want to talk about that one? Oh, yeah. Well, you don't, he no, doesn't do. look excited about it. So <laughs> I was just curious of either working with Warren Beatty or, you know, the fact that I looked at your list, I only see two films that are kind of like period based around those times. That'd be the Fablemans and this about yeah. filming a movie that takes place into that reality. I mean, I just, I would love to be on a set with a movie that takes place in those areas just to see how it's done, yeah. you know, be in that environment. I didn't know if you had a, a feeling about that or not. I think that this, the, to, to be honest, like, I think that that movie, I think the script is better than what the movie was. Right. I thought it was great. I think that, I think that the, the script focused more on the starlets and the driver and what the movie came out with was more about, you know, Warren Beatty's character being, uh, you know, Howard Hughes. Yeah. Howard Hughes. Yeah. And it was kind of a bummer because it was like, it was kind of fun watching that other thing develop and him being more of like a side character, you know, and it just became more about that. And so it was kind of like, uh, you know, and it was just not, it, it, at that time, it wasn't the best experience on a film set, to be honest. It wasn't, yeah. I, 
fun on it whatsoever. It was not a good time. There's a lot of things I, again, I'm being very political. It just wasn't one of those movies where I'm like, yeah, that was awesome. You know, it's just, it was a real, it was a real, uh, it was a struggle. I was to, just, if, if I was somebody that mattered, you would hear me go on a rant about let go of the fucking Dick Tracy character and let us make a movie. Finally. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, I think he just made another one to hold on to the rights. It's called Dick Tracy makes a zoom call. Yeah. Right. Probably. I wouldn't he, doubt. He, no, he, he made a zoom call to D Dirk uh, Ben Mankiewicz. Yeah. And is literally dressed as Dick Tracy talking about Warren Beatty's career. To hold the rights probably. Yeah. yeah that's yep, exactly that it. what it was. That's a good, hold I mean, the rights. Like they do, like when they have the rights to something, they'll make some short thing and say, oh, we did it. And so I got, you know, I still get to hold on to it. Five minute I, Zoom call. <laughs> there, there's definitely a loophole. I think, you know, the Weinsteins did that with Halloween for a while. Yeah. You know, they did a, they did some stuff like that. Um, yeah, no, that was a rough. You know, I will say out of that, though, I, you know, I loved Annette Benning, and I got to work with her on Nyad. And she's a gem of a of a actress. She's awesome. I love her. She did you know? very well, though. What's that? I was just joking. I said she didn't marry well, though. <laughs> well, I, no comment. Right. Uh, but it was just, uh, yeah, there was, you know, Lily Lily Collins was awesome. Alden was great. You know, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Matthew Broderick was really awesome. Like, there was all these really amazing people that were on this cast. And it was right. like, you know, and the movie bit. just got forgotten because it, it was done wrong. It just was, it, it wasn't, in my opinion, it wasn't what we were... If you would have made the script that we had, it would have been really cool, but it became more about Howard Hughes. Right. You know, and I wanted to see the story about the starlet and the driver that was trying to make it. Yeah. All right. I know I know you said we could run all night, but I don't want to take up all your time. But I do want to ask about I, and I do have one very more one more very important question. Oh, you go um, ahead, Chad. No, no, no. I will wrap on this one. I will wrap on my most well, the important. The two question. things I kind of want to so my kid loves Shazam. I like oh. it too now because I think I've fallen more. I liked it when I first saw it and now my, he just loves it. He just loves yeah. it. Is there something I could tell him and later tomorrow morning when he wakes up going, you know, dad talked to blah, blah, blah. Because I've spent time with Tom Kenny, who's the voice of SpongeBob and my kid two years ago said, that's impossible. He lives under the sea. You never talk to him. He doesn't even believe he could show up to these things and he's he's hung out with people and it's just dad it's not cool you know what i mean because i'm dad yeah i you know shazam i wasn't supposed to do shazam because they shot that in toronto yeah and it's really hard for uh because the union rules and things like that it's hard for a dp to bring someone from the states up to toronto because they have mm -hmm. their own guys yeah well, so me and Maxime Alexandra and 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 David Sandberg, we all did uh, Annabelle. Um, Annabelle comes home. No, not comes home. Annabelle, uh, the second one. You worked on several of these movies, by the way, which is my second question. Um, well, it was the second Annabelle, and yeah. it's awesome. creation. Annabelle creation, yeah. And um, you know, we made a we made a really cool horror film. You know, out of the Annabelle story, I'm really proud of that. I like yeah. what we you know in part three also with gary doberman he's awesome too yeah. but maxime and them they like they got shazam and i was like oh i want to do it maxime's like i can't bring you to toronto i was like man darn it like i really wanted to be a part of that it sounds like a fun movie with you guys then i get a call like a month later can you come to toronto and i'm like i thought you couldn't bring me he's like i can't find anybody up here that i really want to work with but can you come and be the b operator steady cam i'm like i don't care I'm like yeah sure let's go so i went up there 
And eventually uh, some things happened and I became the A operator because the, the A operator got, the, 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 the local guy got let go. And I ended up taking over as the A cam steady cam. And then we had another B operator come in. Um, but it was great because it was like, it was freezing cold and Zach Levi playing Shazam. I had worked with him years ago on Spiral, this movie Spiral. And mm -hmm. uh, I got to know yeah. Zach really, and he's still a friend. And uh, so it was kind of cool. I didn't tell him that I was going to be there. So when he shows up in the Shazam suit, he's all doing his thing and we're doing the test, the test stuff. And I just walked, I, I came up and I, I walked up to him. And I said, Hey dude, hit your mark. You know, and, and he goes, oh, no way, man. Like, you know, it's in this big, like, puffy, like, Shazam suit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Give a big hug. And so it was kind of cool. It's just everything kind of comes in a fun full get to see the friends that, like, you've made in, in the past. And I still talk. I talked to Zach last week um, and seeing how he was doing. And, and I'm proud of Shazam 1. I really, like, am happy that I got to be a part of that. And, and you know, I think we made a really cool movie. And I think David Sandberg did a great job and a great take on it because, out of the superhero movies, this was finally something that was really good for the kids. It was very lighthearted. It had a lot of heart. And, and, and I think that at that time when that came out, it was fresh that everybody got to see this. It was a fresh take on a superhero film. I, I the guy finding his powers, like, you know, and my and kid, my kid loves it. I bought the one sheet to hang in his, um, in his room. We actually, we just, we put it up over the Christmas break. So I, I, I just had to go go there because i and i like it too i like it too because my kid loves it and it's just enough right there's just enough darkness oh yeah and just enough and there's there's some killing and there's some just just enough it works on a lot of levels it does it really does he did a really good job with that but it gets, well, and, oh, good. go ahead like hey it actually got like there's moments where it gets pretty spooky and especially for <laughs> whoa like you know and i thought that was kind of a it was fun because that was like a horror part two like you know with david sandberg being a part of this yeah yeah yeah. got to put some horror into this and i thought it was really neat and mark strong the guy who played you mm -hmm. know guy i love him in the kingsman movies and all that stuff so i was really stoked when he came on board and he was like he's just working with a really cool professional i thought he was great well yeah. uh, kind of echoing what joe said um and this is a, a weird thing but again i just want to say how much that movie means because my son uh it came out on dvd blu-ray etc and it was oddly enough and the reason i remember this it was after there had been unfortunately a shooting at i think walmart it was when there was an active shooter in a walmart and my son had actually developed this fear of going into stores oh wow and um i said this it, oddly enough it was shazam they got him to go back into a store and it was, it was or the, the mini mart scene yeah well and it was and, and actually the deal was he had seen uh he had seen the movie it had came out but he wanted his own copy oh. and so we i used that scene and i said listen son walmart's right here we we gotta go and he was young i mean it wasn't like he wasn't 15 or anything but he was young and i was like but we'll go in We'll do it quickly. We'll go back to the electronic section, grab Shazam, and we'll leave. Yeah. And and he was like, okay, I can do that. I can do that. But I remember it so much because it was, I'll do it for Shazam. And so that movie has a place on my shelf forever now because he's no longer afraid. It was, he was young and he was, you know, he, it was the first time he had seen on the news himself that, that sort of thing. And so, but I'll, I, as soon as Shazam came up, I was like, oh, that's, it was so cool. So anyway. 
So I appreciate your work on that. That was week one of shooting. Like, honestly, like we shot that whole sequence and I remember it was like negative five degrees out. It was freezing. And we were all in these big puffy jackets. You couldn't, it was like, we were on the thing. You couldn't tell who (laughs) someone's face. It was everybody wearing these big puffy jackets and you like, you had to put pieces of tape with your like name on it. So people knew who you were because it was just all a sea of black coats you know, it was freezing cold and it, you know, it was wild. I had a great time on that job. We, we had a really, we had a really good time shooting that and uh, met a lot of really good friends over in Toronto and a really great crew people. And uh, it was just a, a great time. Yeah. All right, uh, Chad. Oh, oh, can, I, can I fit in yeah, one more James quick question? And Chad. And I hope I, this isn't Chad's question. Uh, I know you've got some stuff upcoming, but I won't touch on that yet. I don't know if that's what Chad's going to do, but I wanted to ask about malignant. Yeah. Um, Again, Malignant's just one, it's got so many cool scenes in it. And and there's a there's somebody that listens to our show and I know he loves Malignant. So I knew I had to ask a question about it. Do you have any stories about Malignant and working on it and, and what it was to film that film? Anytime I get to work with James Wan, I'm happy. And because James, I, I like to I model a lot of the way I feel like how I would direct on set is the way James is because he's very open, friendly, and very good, and he creates a very great environment. Even though a lot of the stuff that we're shooting is completely dark in nature, he makes makes the crew feel good, and it actually you know it it really rubs off. And I think that's very important as a director to do that stuff. So I really respect James in that. He's also he's a great storyteller. Visually knows what he wants. Um, and he's just a lot of fun. And I'm, I, I'm very happy I got to like be a part of that world. Malignant was crazy. You know, like it just, I mean, we had an, we had an actress that had to do everything backwards, you know? And so she would run with literally their hands back like this. And she like, she'd like, okay, you got to run and put your hands through these jail bars and grab this person. And this girl would run and then we'd do takes where she'd run and find the person and bring them and hit their head against the bars. And, it was really impressive stuff. And she was kind of a contortionist too, which was kind of neat. And, but she would wear, you know, she'd have the fake, like the, the comatose uh, girl's face where you could see part of it with a jacket. She'd be in, she'd have that facade on. Then you'd have the, the creatures, you know, head there. And it was just seeing the animatronics of that was pretty neat. Um, Yeah. I mean, Malignant was an interesting shoot because what I like about that is also it's people are finally taking a chance on doing something that's different. You know, we lose a lot of that nowadays. You don't see these, you know, the eighties and the the seventies, the eighties and the, and the nineties, you know, people took chances on movies that were completely wild. You know, mm-hmm. you get, now you get flooded with, it's the slasher. Here comes the guy that's going to kill everybody in the cabin. And here's the one, that the one house thing. And here, you know, it's just like, it gets repetitive to the point where I'm like, Oh, what are we watching? And what I thought was really interesting when we were shooting Malignant was that we were doing a movie that was a, a, a higher budget horror film that was something that was odd and like different. And it was like a freaking parkour tumor that was killing people, you know, that I thought was really interesting and it was just fun. And it creative- was the way Basket Case should have made. made. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <for a> lot. <laughs> uh. yeah. But it was neat, you know, and I, I was happy to be a part of that. I, I love, we did the cop scene that was really neat. We did the, mo- the that, that, that crazy shot with a 10 mil lens, the motion control where they're doing the stuff. We had it all planned out. And, you know, it was just, it was just a really cool uh, experience. To be. I'm proud of being on that film too. It was just like a neat, you know, neat thing to be a part of. I was originally supposed to do a camera on that. I went to go direct the collector part three. That went away. And then when I came to LA, 
uh, the DP was like, dude, just come on, be, you know, come do C camera. I was like, yeah, dude, you know, I'm ready to come back on there and stuff. So you know, I got a lot of work on that one. It was good. Yeah. I was it's collector three though. I'm sorry, but the malignant is, is the only kind of fairly decent budget horror film that gives Mike Mendez a huge, the director <laughs> in the front of the movie whom I've tried to get on this show for three years. We know some of the same people I can yet get him to commit. Oh, I'm well. Like he, he should definitely come on here. He, uh, yeah, it was funny getting like, we, I remember he, sh he showed up. I was like, Holy shit, Mike, what's up, dude? And he's like, Oh, we're going to kill it. You know, we killed him and crushed his hand and had them screaming. I remember. Yeah. I shot that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just reach out to him and say, there's a chubby guy in Kentucky. You just say yes. Your social media friends, you have other friends in common. Just say yes. He's a good guy. He's yeah. very cool. Yeah, Mike's, Mike's a good dude. All right, Chad, you get the last question. I know you're not going to be able to say a lot about this, but I just want to know, <clears throat> A, Tim Burton's my favorite director. Me too. He made, made, he made my favorite movie of all time. You can't see it because it's dark in here. Ed Wood's right behind me. Yeah. Um. So be working with him on Beetlejuice 2, and also, should I be excited? Because I just can't wait. One hundred percent, be very excited for Beetlejuice too. Awesome! It's awesome. Um, I got that phone call because they shot most of Beetlejuice in Europe, but they had to come here to shoot some stuff that takes place in the states, like where the town is. Obviously, you can see pictures of it online all over the place with the houses and all that. Yeah, stuff. I actually refuse to look at all. I'm refusing to look at anything. <laughs> so, so I was actually you know, it was the job right before the strikes happened. Um, I had come back, I did fall guy in Australia. Then I went to Rhode Island, did good burger too. flew home. And I got this phone call from the producer and she goes, Hey, are you available to do, uh, the American portion of, of, um, this Tim Burton film? I said, and I wrote back real, I go, is it what I think it is? And she goes, <laughs> I can't say what it is, but I can say, you can say his name three times. And I said, oh. I'm in I'm told, I just call my agent right now get this thing booked I'm in I said because this was like I get to finally work with somebody that I look up to I have I have a couple me and my wife have a couple Tim Burton original drawings here in my house that I've collected over the years I collect a lot of art I have some Clive Barkers and stuff too I love that stuff that's um, amazing have you got to spend any time with Clive what's that have you ever had to spend have you ever gotten the chance to spend any time with Clive Never met Clyde, but I've been to his. I've been to his art studio where I, where all his paintings are, and that's where we got me and my wife got two of his pieces. When we're done, I'll tell you a story. Okay, all right, anyway, keep going. So, anyways, so we make the deal. I fly out there, and you know, I'm. This is another reflecting back on like, oh man, I hope that this isn't a don't meet your heroes moment. Yeah, and it was the best experience. And Jenna Ortega saw me because I cast her in Studio 666. Six, yep. She, you know, so I'm sitting there. It's the first day. We're in the town. I'm on the street. She comes around on, on this bicycle and she sees me and I see her and she goes, no way. And she like almost does this power slide and comes off and gives me a big old hug. And it's just kind of cool. Like I was like, oh, what's up, Jenna? And I was like, because she knows I'm a camera operator too. She's like, that's awesome. Holy cow. I think I'd see you. And I was like, all right. So it was really neat reconnecting and seeing her again. And uh, she's awesome in it. Everybody, I mean, I've got to tell you, Burton at the end. Um, so, well, let me just finish what I was saying. So we shoot. All, then we, we're getting ready to go shoot another scene out of Vermont. And we're going to Boston. And and, and then the strikes, the SAG strike happens. Oh. 
like, oh, we only had like two days left to shoot. No. And you can't cross the line. Actors aren't going to do it. No, we're not going to do it. So we all flew home. And for six months or whatever it was, however long this thing took, we, you know, I didn't know if I was going to get to go back and finish it. But sure enough, as soon as the strikes ended, I got the phone call, jumped back on a plane, got over there and shot the rest of uh, the American portion of Beetlejuice uh, too. And uh, I just, it was such a rad moment. The DP comes over, gives me a hug. He's like, oh yeah. And then Tim Burton came over and gave me a big hug. And I was like, ah, <laughs> I don't get starstruck, but, but that's one of those moments where I was like, dude, this is so cool. I got to meet like, and work with somebody I really look up to and he's rad you know, and that's like, it's like the John Carpenter's rad, like, and, and the Tim Burton, just like, I'm just so happy I got that experience. Probably will never happen again, but I got to have it. And I'm, I'm, I feel lucky and blessed that I got to be a part of the Beetlejuice, a little bit, a little bit of the Beetlejuice franchise. That's awesome. You, you mentioned Fall Guy, and, and I have to ask a question about Fall Guy, because I'm so happy they're doing a Fall Guy film, because I watched the show when I was younger, <laughs> Anything you can tell me about Fall Guys, somebody that's going to be in the theater watching it? Same here. I hope everybody goes to the theater to see that. That was, an, we shot it all in Australia, in Sydney. And uh, the thing, the, the, what I really like about this movie is that if you're going to do a movie about a stuntman who becomes like a detective or whatever, and you got to do real stunts. You know what I mean? So, so many, like you watch these Marvel movies where it's all blue screen and, oh, well, Avenger got thrown over there, blah. No, we did everything for the most part, very practical in Fall Guy. And we did old school stunts, like very old school stuff that was like dangerous as hell, but like rad. And David Leach, the director and his wife, Kelly, they're awesome. I love them. Um, and, uh, you know, I developed a great friendship with them. And, you know, just watching him work and watching because he's an ex-stuntman and in all these people he brought together to do this movie was so cool. And like Gosling's awesome. I got to tell you, the movie is really funny. It's really good. Um, I haven't seen it cut together yet, but what we've shot, I know it's going to be killer. It was harder than hell to do. We shot in the same place they shot Mad Max, the new one that's coming out, which is wild. Um, and it just was like, it, it, it's just going to be a really great adventure. I'm very proud to be a part of that one too, because I did watch Fall Guy when I was a kid also. I thought it was the coolest show. I love the theme song, you know, and, it, you know, Cole Seavers was always like hanging out in the tub at the end, you know, like... <laughs> It was so again sometimes you get to work on these jobs where you get to be in that moment of something that you were that you loved when you were a kid bringing the john carpenter up in that stuff like i emulated the shadow people in studio 666 from the fog I yeah, wanted you sure did i forgot to even bring it up i was i was i was hung up on the credits thinking it but, but yes just the that me and tony gardner i specifically said let's just make him let's make these things like the fog i thought that was really cool that really stuck stuck with me when I was a kid. So you get to work with John Carpenter. Then you get to work with on Halloween where you're doing the scene where Michael Myers has the ghost sheet on and you're sitting there going, dude, I, I did, I watched this as a kid and now I'm shooting it, you know? And then, you know, there's all these, there's been many moments like Freddy Krueger, like when I got to shoot, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street and see the glove and be a part of that was really awesome. And then the fall guy, I love that show. And now I get, those things mean a lot more to me because it's nostalgic as as a filmmaker and somebody that grew up loving these films right so and i'll I'll shut up after this but given that um if you ever get if somebody ever asks what you would like to do and you're struggling with an idea which i'm sure you won't be but if if you could just ever 
backdrop that you that you think there needs to be a update of the uh, TV show Riptide made. I'd appreciate it. I miss Riptide. I'll see what I can do for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nobody's going to jump at that. I'm the only one gonna... that's like, Riptide needs to be remade. I need You're to see also that the only bonehead that would say that. Yeah, I thought you were going to be like, can we, can we redo Manimal or, or, or Auto Man? <laughs> You no, no. Those? Well, actually, I'll be honest. I'd watch that too, but no. Riptide is one where I'm like, it just it. The fact that they were like, okay, there are three detectives on a boat, and one of them has robots. So I was like, I don't know what about my young brain went. This is the best show ever made. Thing is awesome. Yeah. No, I know. There's, I mean, there's there's so many weird shows from back then to do, but I just love the fact again, like Fall Guy, just being actually a legit movie directed by an ex stunt man who's an awesome director doing real stunts. So when you yeah. see it. You feel it. And I think that's more important than and if, you know, when you're practically, that's my opinion on things because it really shows, you know, you, I, I think a lot of people are getting tired of people are having super fear, super, superhero fatigue as yes. well as Star Wars fatigue. And people are just getting tired of that stuff. It's like, let's see some good stories. Let's see some interesting new takes or new ideas on something. I, I like that stuff. I kind of, you know, that's what I want to see. Yeah. Well, I'm pumped for Fall Gas. So thank you. Do. <laughs> Mr. McDonald, it has been an absolute pleasure. Hopefully, we haven't been too rough on you. We have enjoyed going down your career, listening to all your stories, and I don't think we can ever thank you enough. Well, I appreciate you guys taking the time to talk to me about stuff and making me relive things I completely forgot about. <laughs> That's okay. So, we're going to push stop recording. I'm going to tell you a Clive Barker story. Okay, great. Thanks. No problem. Thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs>